0: Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director at Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell.
1: Welcome to the Black Bar On Air. I'm your host, Kenny Braswell, and again, I thank you for taking precious time out of your schedule um, to be with us to listen to um, the important topics of our day. Uh, We are encouraged um, this year of 2015 to continue um, to elevate the conversation on the Black Bar uh, for those of you who are unaware of you know, why we call our show that, um, I think it is very uh, relevant these days that we continue to raise the bar um, for black people, and I think that we do that by informing, educating, and engaging them. And so um, the guests that you hear on this show are brought on to do exactly that. And my guest today is a good friend. Um, he has written a new book, and we're going to talk about that book today. Um, but really want to introduce you to him and his work and you know much much of the work that we have to do in our community and my guest today is dr ronald Mincy. Um, he is the maurice v russell professor of social policy and social work practice at columbia university school of social work and the director of the center for research on fathers children and family well-being he is also Um, a co-principal investigator of the Fragile Families Child Well-Being Study. And he has written a new book called Failing Our Fathers. How are you doing, Dr. Mincy? I'm
2: doing well, Kenny. Thank you for having me.
1: No, thank you so much for being on the show. I know that this is going to be some relevant um, conversation, given all that is taking place um, in our community Um, I've had a chance, I just just actually got the book in my hands. Um, My wife gave it to me a couple days ago, but had a chance to read the article um, that is also in The Atlantic, and we'll tell people where they can get this um, information from. Um, But before we begin, for those who are not aware, uh, who have been living under a rock for the past 30 years and not aware of your work or know who you are, give us the 15,000-foot level information on Dr. Ron Menzi?
2: Well, uh, like several, I grew up um, without my own father. I've been interested in uh, how men uh, procreate, how they relate to children. Uh, I'm an economist by training. Uh, I was trained in economics at Harvard and MIT. I always wanted to understand poverty and the role that men play in it. I had the privilege throughout my career to work in some pretty stellar institutions and to Continue to focus on this set of issues. I've uh, been at the Urban Institute as a research assistant. Uh, I worked at uh, the federal government in the Office of Child Support Enforcement, and then uh, I also worked in the Clinton administration on welfare reform. Uh, then at the Ford Foundation before coming to the, Ford, to, the uh, to Columbia University about uh, now twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it's been quite a ride.
1: That's uh yeah it's been a quite a ride, and you still um, are at the top. Of the game and at the forefront um, of the trailblazing which really speaks to how much work um, has been done and how much work there is to do and how much work is in front of us and I'm always encouraged you know by your um, enthusiasm and motivation um, in doing this work and, and, and much of that drives you know my own enthusiasm about the work that I do So this new book, Confronting the Crisis of Economically Vulnerable Non-Resident Fathers, Failing Our Fathers, let's talk a little bit about why the book, why do you think it was necessary to write this book at this particular time?
2: Well, um, over the last uh, 15 years or so, uh, the whole dialogue about uh, uh, non-resident fathers and fathers in general has changed radically in the research community. But I think the general public is much less aware of that than researchers are. And so, um, I wanted to write this book really at the encouragement of my publisher in order to uh, just inform the general public about who non-resident fathers are, how large is this population, uh, how they relate to their children, and why we as a society are failing them in uh, in, in a variety of ways. So, um, uh, the book was really intended to, uh, you know, turn the, academic research on this subject which has changed radically in the last 15 years uh, on its head so that it could be available to the general reader and policymakers and journalists and the like. Mm
1: -hmm. Explain to the listeners exactly what is a non-resident father.
2: Um,
1: A non-resident father
2: is a, first of all, a a biological father who does not live with all of his children. This will include um, men who have uh, for whom all of their children live elsewhere, and then other men who have uh, some children who are non-resident, uh, that is, they, they had a child uh, earlier in their lives in a former relationship, they may have matured, uh, and then they have subsequent relationships, perhaps marry, and that means that they have some children with whom they reside and other children with whom they don't, uh, but I wanna take this entire Uh, Both groups who have only children that they reside with as well as those that have both children they live with and children that they don't uh, In the population of non-resident fathers.
1: Yeah, I'm always interested in terminology because I think one of the challenges in our work today um, is that we tend to hang on the more traditionally used terms to describe both our mothers and our fathers and when you really begin to dig down deep into what they mean they don't oftentimes describe who you're talking about and so Mm -hmm. for instance you know i i struggle with the term single mothers and so not because it's not a term that we don't understand or we don't have any um, sympathy for it Um, but when we use the term and we say that um, a certain percentage of our children live with single mothers Um, Somehow, they don't live without single fathers. So if one individual is single, the other individual must be single as well. And the only time that we use the term single father is if the children are actually living in the household with them. And the whole notion of single describes marital status. It doesn't describe parental reality.
2: And I think we have a similar set of concerns when we talk about fathers because, You know, I've had trouble for decades with the term absent father. I think just because uh, a man does not live with his children does not at all mean that they are absent in the lives of their children. And that's one of the things that this book makes really, really clear, that, uh, you know, half of the men that we think of as non-resident fathers really have, you know, varying degrees of contact with their children depending upon their age. And so uh, I wanted to try as best I could to use the term that is uh, less loaded and, and just point to the fact that they're not living with their children, but uh, that uh, there's a whole other set of information about the nature of their relationships with their children to say nothing about uh, what they want to do versus what they're actually able to do.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the key, w- <coughs> excuse me, I think the key word in uh, the subtitle of your book is economically. And so, we know in this work that one of the um, biggest challenges um, for men, um, particularly for black men and Latino men, men of color, but for all men, no doubt, um, being able to uh, provide for their children, being able to, um, hold on just a minute, I'm not sure why this thing is making, so we're, we're recording, so I can, I can edit that out, let me start again one of the things that i know um, that is one of the biggest challenges for um, our fathers um, and fathers in general is their ability or inability to be able to financially provide and so that has always been a challenge um, for black men in particular but it is a challenge um, overall talk about uh, where in the book and how the book begins to um, strip apart Um, this very critical conversation about the economic impact, particularly on fathers.
2: Well, uh, the book really tries to explode this topic about um, uh, who is vulnerable, uh, economically vulnerable, defined by their ability to support themselves and support their children. So um, it's it's interesting. Um, In the article that's in The Atlantic, as we were developing it, um, we you know spent a couple of days getting the text right, and then the uh, the, uh, the editor uh, gave us a draft of the article. And on the on the front page, there appears a picture of an African American male. He's about in his 30s. He works in a bakery, and he's you know multitasking. And um, but he's a working man, and he's supposed to be the you know the the visual for the vulnerable father. And uh, I really encourage them not to use that picture because it reinforces the stereotype that the only uh, men who are economically vulnerable, i.e. they're not able to support their kids, are African American and Latino men. And that's just not true. The data that this book uh, uh, talks about shows that um, because of the declining wages and the uh, wage inequality, that is a topic uh, in a lot of media accounts these days, um, many men have become economically vulnerable in terms of their ability to support their kids. um, we estimated that if you look at uh, men who make up to $40,000 a year, which is about the 60th percentile in the income distribution, uh, and, you, and these men are non-resident fathers, so they, do, they don't live with all of their children, and you count their child support payments and their usual uh, expenses like rent, food, clothing, and the like, uh, many of these men, if they pay their child support in full, are poor or near poor. And so about 40% of them are white men who have, um, uh, who have not completed college. And so I think the whole, our whole notion of who vulnerable non-resident fathers are uh, is, uh, is, is inaccurate because of uh, past research, including a lot of the research of my own for that matter, that has focused on African American and Latino men uh, and not paid enough attention to how the general decline in wages which is, uh, which is uh, ongoing Uh, for several decades now, uh, has compromised the ability of lots of men, white men, and uh, men with some college education included, uh, in terms of their ability to support themselves and support their children. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, one of the, um, for me, reality indicators with respect to uh, numbers and percentages um, of whether or not we're talking about black fathers, Latino fathers, or white fathers Uh, Brings me back to the Moynihan report. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, this year uh, Coming in is the 50th anniversary of the Moynihan report and and it is my hope that throughout this year um, You and I will begin to have some more discussions on this blog talk radio show about that But the reality um, With respect to what they found in 1965 Mm -hmm. and What is occurring today? often sounds like, so for instance, he said that in 1965, that 29% of black children being born into out-of-Wetlock households was a travesty. And the question is, in 2015, when that number is closer to 73, what is it then? But it tends to be that we don't pay enough attention to the number until that number also begins to rise in the white population. And so I say all that to say this, and that is when we begin to look at these numbers, and I often have this conversation with Jenks Morton and and others who, and Dr. Ivy Tolson, um, who is looking at the broader scope of what's taking place in our country, we tend to, once we realize it's not us and it's other people too, take our foot off the gas, and what I want to hear from you in this discovery of yours, and as we continue to um, unveil this and unravel this conversation, how do we do it in a manner that we continue to stay focused on the levels of complexity um, of the issue with respect to whether or not you happen to be a white father or a black father?
2: Well, um, I may have misunderstood you, but I, I actually think that um, when we uh, understand that problems are facing the population generally and are not just restricted to blacks, um, it's at that point that we as a society put our foot on the gas. So mm-hmm. let me give you an example. Um, you know, If you are a long-term follower of drug policy in the United States, uh, you know, the drug problem appeared in the 1920s, in, in uh, the 1930s and 40s. Um, it was an epidemic in the African-American community, um, led by musicians and that culture. But as long as it was restricted to African-Americans, I mean, there wasn't a real uh, agenda to do something about the drug problem. On the other hand, in the 60s and 70s, it became a debilitating issue for a lot of working Americans. And it began to cost American Corporation, you know, millions of dollars because of workplace absences generally, um, it's at that point that we got serious about the drug problem. So I, I think uh, actually in this society, we tend to put our foot on the gas when we understand that it affects some issue that we're concerned about, affects a broad swath of the population and is not just restricted to, um, uh, you know, minority groups or African Americans in particular. I think the whole issue with regard to uh, teen pregnancy and out of wedlock pregnancy or out of wedlock birth are another one, where uh, when these problems were confined primarily to uh, minorities, um, we sort of uh, accepted them as a a broad society and didn't devote much action to them. On the other hand, uh, it is true that uh, today 70% of African-American children are born to unmarried mothers, uh, but... um, but it is also true. You mentioned the Moynihan statistics that 40% of um, uh, 40% of all children in the United States are born to unmarried mothers. So now that the number is 40% in the general population, and 50% of all children who are born to women under 50, uh, under 30 years old, uh, now these problems are becoming mainstream problems, and the resources devoted to tackling them are are a lot larger than they were. Uh, when we view these problems as primarily uh, issues of African Americans or or, um, minority groups more generally. And it's my hope that by um, going into the data and and accurately and very carefully uh, identifying the the broad scope of this problem of economically vulnerable non-resident fathers, that we will devote the kind of energy, creativity, and resources solving this problem that we uh, that we have towards uh, some
1: other things right <clears throat> you're listening to the black bar on air i'm your host kenneth braswell my guest today dr ronald Mincy. he is the author along with monique jethwani and serena kempin kempin um, of the book called failing our fathers and so uh, dr Mincy, when you look at the book and, and and you're looking i also noticed that in this book you wrote it in a very different way than you've written your previous books. Um, Talk about why you did that and what you expect for the difference in the writing style of moving this kind of heavy research material out to the public um, that you'd like to see accomplished.
2: Well, um, the way in which this book is different from my other work is that it uses um, a lot of qualitative evidence to illustrate uh, the, the, the quantitative data that is the basis of the book. So um, the book really grows out of, um, in a number of ways, uh, 15 years of work where uh, when I was at the Ford Foundation, I was um, fortunate enough to you know, come up with an idea about the first nationally representative survey of, um, of, of children born to unmarried parents And for the first time ever, we created a nationally representative survey, a birth cohort survey of about 5,000 children, uh, most of whom were born to unmarried parents. And we've been following these children and both their mothers and fathers, and that's the unique thing about the survey, over the past 15 years. Um, And these data called the Fragile Families and Child Wellbeing Survey have revolutionized, I I think, um, the study of unmarried parents, single mothers, and a lot of that. Uh, However, um, you know, we use very sophisticated statistical methods to understand the sample and we uh, published literally thousands of papers as a result of this, but um, much of that stuff is buried in academic journals that most people don't read. And so, um, my publisher, you know, uh, when he looked at the original draft of the book, said, you know, um, you're concerned about the policy issues and the basic research, but there are a lot of people who don't know much about this at all. And you need to turn this thing inside out, including um, talking to some people who have this lived experience, so that it would be uh, make a more compelling case to a general audience. And so, um, we did that. We talked to uh, fathers in um, in uh, who uh, participating in employment programs in New York City. And then, because we couldn't find any white fathers in New York City to talk to, we went up to Chautauqua, New York, which is a uh, uh, town of, in Jamestown, New York, and talk to fathers there as well. Uh, and then through their stories, um, well, first of all, I learned a lot of things about, uh, about you know, something I thought I know, knew a great deal, but I actually talked to these men and understand the complexity of their lives and the relationships with their kids. And I hope that the uh, result will be um, uh, something that's compelling to the reader as well. And the title of the book, Failing Our Fathers, is meant to convey that many of us have an uncle, a cousin, a nephew, who is a non-resident father and who makes up to $40,000 a year and has difficulty himself uh, supporting himself, supporting his children, maintaining ongoing relationships with his children. It's for that reason that uh, I think this is something that we should all be, uh, all care deeply about.
1: Mm -hmm. When you think about the book um, as it begins to move um throughout the field of work and into social work circles and into general population, uh, what are the elements of the book that you want people to pay the closest attention to?
2: Well, there there are a couple of things. Um, First, I do want them to pay attention to the the stories in the vignettes that are in there. And so the reader can, flip in and out of two kinds of information. One, some very detailed information about how over the past 40 years, the stagnancy and decline in earnings has impacted most men who have not graduated from college. Uh, And I have tons of data and tons of analysis of this basic idea. And then, uh, in chapter two, we talk about how uh, the recession of 2007-2009 made that long-standing fact much worse. Uh, But in addition to that, you can then see the impact of those long-standing trends, and especially the Great Recession, on the lives of everyday people as they try to struggle uh, to um, recover from the Great Recession in uh, 2007, 2009, but also to relate to their children, the mothers of their children, and their families. So that's a critical uh, part of the a story that I hope they get to, and I really credit my co-authors, um, Dr. Gifwani and uh, Serena Clemson, because they are the qualitative experts, and we were able to then uh, do a do a crosswalk between the quantitative evidence on the one hand and the qualitative evidence on the other. I think the second thing I would like them to focus on is that um, you know, the stories that we're telling are true for black, white, and Latino men. And that um, to segregate this issue, uh, to be mainly an issue that affects minority groups is just wrong. Um, Everything we know about the stagnancy and declines in earning among men who have not gone to college just makes us understand that if men are experiencing a decreasing capacity to earn a living uh, and they're not getting married, and that's happening across the board, we have set off a process by which you're gonna generate more non-resident fathers, and many of them, four out of 10 of them, are gonna be white men. Uh, and so, again, this is a problem not just among minorities. And then I think the third thing is um, to think about how these events have captured men, in, uh, fathers in a lot of ways, and, and women as well, because we're thinking about a population that um, grew up with the expectation that if they worked Uh, they would have a steadily improving standard of living because that was the experience of their fathers. And in fact, uh, this is not the case. Uh, Wages have been declining across the board for most men who have not gone to college and therefore, there are a lot of men who work full time, full year, and uh, are unable to get married because they don't earn enough. And secondly, when they don't uh, and don't sustain the relationships with the mothers of their children, they end up as non-resident fathers. And so for many, uh, this is a complete surprise. It's not something that they would have expected based upon the experience of their own fathers. And then finally, their ability to manage it is is really uh, problematic. Uh, Problematic in the sense that they blame themselves for the economic circumstances that they're in. Uh, my co-author, Dr. Ziswanek, talks a great deal about this idea of educational regret. Many men said, you know, if I had just gone to school a little longer, I could have earned my way out of this situation. And in fact, uh, people say that if they dropped out of high school, if they graduated from high school, if they had a little college, if they had a little vocational training, as we go turn the page from one response to the next, to the next all of them say, if I had not gone to school a little longer, um, I would have done better. Um, uh, and that that's just not true for most of the men that we talk to. But they also then say, because I've learned this the hard way, this is not going to happen to my kids. Mm-hmm. And so they commit to uh, mentally to spending more time with their kids, especially with respect to their kids' education, so that what happened to them won't happen to their children, but then they don't execute. Uh, if you look at the amount of time they spend with their children compared to the time that resident uh, fathers spend with their kids, there's just no comparison. and Therefore, um, even though they emotionally are committed to the idea that they need to invest in their kids, they are investing far less time and resources in their kids as, uh, as, as is the experience of resident, uh, children with resident fathers. And therefore, their children are very likely to experience exactly what it is that their fathers want to avoid.
1: When you connect, and I'm not sure if you thought about this, I'm sure you did, if you were to connect your last book, Left Behind, and Mm -hmm. this book, um, I believe in your last book you spent a lot of time, or spent a lot of time really focused on talking about the economic conditions of low, not low income, but young um, men in particular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In this book, did you um, happen to see whether or not if the economic conditions of that population improved between the work of your last book and this work, did it stay the same? Or what did you notice about that population different in this work than you did in your last work?
2: Well, I, I think for me, and I'm an economist by training, the primary thing that differs is the economic context. Um... Uh, My last book was written coming out of the 1990s economic boom. Uh, This is the period from, say, 1994 to 2001. And this is the only period in the last 40 years when the wages of most men grow. And so the context there is that here we have this extraordinary economic boom, the longest in the post-war period, and look how good – Uh, lots of people do, except black men. Uh, And so, uh, but the more recent book is, now moves away from this exceptional period, It says well, both before and after this exceptional period, it looks like no men are doing well, black men included, and therefore, um, uh, my prior focus on sort of the the, the very bottom of the earnings distribution, um, is sort of misplaced, uh, both because of that and because of I was focusing on this ex- this exceptional period of economic growth. Under more normal circumstances and then more challenging circumstances of the Great Recession, uh, there are a lot of men without college degrees who are not doing well, and if they have children, then uh, they have child support obligations, essentially, that they're unable to meet and have all sorts of challenges with their partners such that they can't get to the children. So those are the main... The economic climate which is the context of the story that I told then and the story I'm telling now, changed radically. And as a consequence, um, uh, again, the, the, the general male population who's not going to college, that's the one common denominator but between these two books is that I'm talking to men who not going to college. And again, during the economic boom period, uh, the earnings of those men grew if they were white and if they were Latino. Uh, but more recently, and even b- before that, uh, the wages of men without a college degree were either stagnant or fallen.
1: Wow! So the book is called "Failing Our Fathers." Um, our guest today, Dr. Ronald um, Mincy, um, done a, has done a phenomenal job. I'm gonna tell you, um, Dr. Mincy, that one of the things, um, as I'll be reading this book over the next, you know, f- few weeks and trying to digest it, is it actually links up with a uh, what I'm calling an a edu film um, that I've been wanting to do um, called JOB. The acronym is JOB. And mm-hmm. the acronym stands for Just Over Broke. Wow. Well, there it is. And it's,
2: think, yeah, it's, yep.
1: a, it's a story that I've been wanting to um, crystallize for people in the way of stories so that people can follow Three Families or Three Men to actually see what this looks like. And, and, and now that I've heard you speak very deeply about what's in this book, it sounds like the book is the foundation for the creation you know, of this uh, docu-film um, that really allows those who uh, can't get into the depths of a book to really um, find some passion for what we're talking about and to see it on the screen with the hopes that then they may dig a little deeper into the issues that you're talking about. Um, one last question for you. I gotta believe that when you finished this book, when when the editor said, okay, we're there, we're done, and you had your woosai moment, what was left? What is left? What are the other stories, other conditions, and other issues? And I know that there are a lot of them, um, but what is left? What is left for us to dissect in order for us to understand? the issues that we are confronted with on a day-to-day basis when it comes to economic security of our families?
2: Well, I think I think what's left is for us to raise our eyeballs about, you know, the nature of the challenge that um, children with non-resident fathers face. And uh, again, we've been focused for the last 20 years at, you know, mainly those who I talk, who I describe as chronically unemployed. Those fathers who can't find traction in the labor market and the circumstances for their children. And I think public policy has responded you know, uh, substantially to that set of concerns. We have now eased up in a variety of ways, the way we set child support obligations for chronically unemployed men. We are really concerned about the formerly incarcerated men, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, their circumstances are challenging, to be sure. But we have responded in a, in, in a very effective way at changing the way the law treats them so as to lighten their load. And their load is difficult to be sure, but policy has responded. What we've not done, on the other hand, is responded to the, the challenges that working fathers face and working non resident fathers in particular. And so uh, what, what, is, what, what is left going forward is to think about how are we going to create the circumstances wherein. Uh, men who have non-resident children can support themselves and their kids uh, by you know, tax breaks like those we provide for single mothers, uh, like making sure the Health Care Act goes through and gets faithfully implemented. And then there are a whole set of concerns about uh, forget the money part, but how do they actually uh, have opportunities to spend time with their kids? You know, um, As I mentioned, I grew up without my own dad, um, and I spent uh, the next sort of 60 years trying to figure out what that experience was like with my own children. And um, I tell you, there's nothing like it. Uh, but I'm jealous. I want that experience for most of you. And so uh, what's left is to figure out how do we help a guy who, who has had a set of children that he's, uh, he's no longer with the partner of that children, how do we help him understand that his children need him. Uh, he's important in their lives, and uh, there are a variety of things that he can do and we can do as a society to make sure that there are ongoing relationships between these dads and their kids, and their kids are, and his children emerge whole and happy. Uh, that's what's left to be done, and uh, you know I got a few years left in my career. Hopefully, I'll be able to contribute to getting it.
1: <laughs> The book, Confronting the Crisis of Economically Vulnerable Non-Resident Fathers, Failing Our Fathers. The author, Dr. Ronald B. Mincy. Thank you so much for sharing this information with us today. Thank you so much, Kenny, for giving me time,
0: opportunity. And take care. You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Rev. Martin Luther King Until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.